Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. In our message this morning, which you can see is entitled Healing for the Nations, we're going to talk about a healing stream that is flowing and has been flowing for 2,000 years, beginning in Jerusalem, picking up speed in Judea, beginning to take Samaria by flood and then gushing forth to the nations of the world. And we are carriers of that stream. And that stream flows and shall continue to flow, bringing healing to the nations until Jesus Christ returns. The story I'm turning to you, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through to 30, is a story of that healing stream breaking from its legitimate banks in a surprising way through the demands of a woman of faith, not a woman of Israel, but a woman of faith nonetheless, who didn't know the rules, who refused to submit to the protocols of the age. Because Jesus was sent in the first instance to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and she was not part of the covenant community. She was not at this stage a legitimate recipient of the blessings of the kingdom or the bread of the kingdom. But her faith refused to accept no. And she pursued Jesus, made herself a thorough nuisance of his disciples until Jesus said, woman, your faith has activated the promise. And this kind of faith we need today, the kind of faith that will break every barrier, that will accept no limitations. Thank you. We have one believer in the house. The kind of faith that will invade the impossible, that will break historical protocol, that will connect with the mercy of God, the, the, the overflowing mercy of God, which is God's primary purpose and heart. It never was narrow and restrictive. He chose one man, Abraham, to reach all men and all women. He chose one nation, Israel, to reach all nations. He chose one city, Jerusalem, to reach all cities, including London City. And faith will connect with that mercy that flows for healing to the nations. And this woman from the nations got healing for her daughter as she persisted in faith. Let's read the story. Mark 7, 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now you need to know Tyre and Sidon, northern Galilee. Galilee, by the way of the Gentiles. It's where there are a lot of Gentile people living. That's why the Bible says the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. Even Jesus' most powerful ministry was conducted in those places. Even though he knew his ministry was primarily in the first instance to the nation of Israel to fulfill God's faithfulness to Israel. To say, I am the Messiah of Israel. I am the deliverer of Israel. He shall save his people from, his, from their sins. He came unto his own, the Jewish people, and they knew him not. And rejected him. But as many as received him. He gave power to become sons of God. And so even in that context. Jesus has not forgotten the broad purpose of God. And there he is ministering. In this place. 
where there are strangers and visitors and immigrants and people from outside the house of Israel. Carrying on. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. Very strange behavior from Jesus. Don't tell anybody I'm here. No appointments, please. Very strange. Then it goes on to say, but he could not be hidden. The rumors of Jesus' presence spread very quickly. And if there is but a rumor hanging over your life that God is with you, there come running. If there is even but a rumor that God lives in this house, not this building, we love it. Small, steamy, broken old building, this building, not grumbling, it's what we got and it's what God's given us, but this ain't the temple of God. You are the temple of God. If there is even a hint of the glory of God upon your life and upon your church, they will come running because the nations are starving and hungry for the bread of the kingdom. Verse 25, it couldn't be hidden. The rumor came and this woman discovered, verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet trying not to comment on this as I go through, but I can't resist it. You know, there is coming a time when the world is going to realize what we have is unclean. Don't think that because they think they have rewritten the rule book on what marriage is, the rule book on what, how sexuality should be expressed, the rule book on how we should do business, how we should do economics, how we should do finance, how we should do education, how we should do the media and arts. Don't think that because they think they've written the rule book, they've actually written, have written the rule book. They've not. God's rule stays sure and secure. And there are going to be increasing numbers of your non-Christian friends who are going to say what we have is unclean. We want something different. They'll realize that what they thought was liberty and freedom was actually pollution coming straight from the pit of hell and languishing under the bondage of unclean thoughts, unclean lifestyles, unfulfilling Modes of operation in this world, they will say, we want to be delivered. And this woman said, I have a child who is an unclean, has an unclean spirit. You know, many of these people, the rolling stones were rolling last night. And I, you, don't look at me, I know we're in a church building, but we can't say rolling stones. We can say, we understand culture out there. Amen and Amen. All right, I don't know how old they are, but they're even older than me, um, the Rolling Stones. And, uh, um, you know, when you think about the 60s and the drug culture and all of that, it's all very well for the kids of the 60s to be indulging in that, but when their kids started taking drugs, they were going to psychiatrists, please help us. And so when your kids start to reap the fruit of the lifestyle that you've lived with impunity, then you suddenly realize you're maturing and there's much more to life than the hedonistic emphasis of our current generation. It's about time that we had a generation of young people who said, we want to be different from our parents. And, but we don't want the uncleanness of the former generations. There is something clean we want to get hold of. We better get ready for the revival that's coming, not just to the X generation, but the Y generation and also the millennial generation that are longing for freedom and liberty and longing for something 
that the generation before them never gave to them. An unclean spirit this child had, and she came and fell down at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. In other words, she did not qualify. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Can you get it? Kept asking him. Kept asking him. So that meant Jesus was ignoring her. Verse 27, but Jesus said, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Extraordinary language. I thought about titling this sermon, Do You Want Jesus to Be Your Pastor? <laughs> Verse 28, and, he, and she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, even little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed, healing for the nations. Father, that healing stream, let it flow through this place tonight, today, and out from this place to the streets, to the homes, to the cafes, the bars, the clubs, the places of business, the centers of decision, that the whole world know Jesus is alive. And he's healing the nations. Amen. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 24, it's the parallel passage. Jesus says very clearly to this woman, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, even when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, he sent them out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This was the historical order of the outpouring of God's Spirit. Jesus came in the first instance to fulfill the promises of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel. To restore the nation from the Hundreds of years of exile and domination under the grip of the evil one and the Gentile nations. And beyond that, to find and fulfill the principal mission of Israel, which was to be a light to the nations and to Fast forward it and cut a long story short, we now have inherited that servant mission. I'll show you this afternoon in the five o'clock service how the church is now to be a light to the nations, not to keep it to ourselves, but to shine for Christ across the nations of the world. But at this point in the gospel story, the message was not to be preached, even in Samaria, let alone other places 
where the Gentiles were in abundance. Contrast this with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where Jesus says, after the cross and after the resurrection, before the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, he says, wait, get ready because the Spirit is coming. And when the Spirit of God comes on you, you shall receive divine enabling power and you shall bring effective witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But at this point, Jesus was focusing his ministry, first of all, on fulfilling the covenant and kingdom promises to Israel. Even the apostle Paul picks up this pattern, and when he preaches, the great missionary, the great apostle to the Gentiles says, the gospel, even him, the apostle to the Gentiles says, this message of the gospel is to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles always in order of God. But right now in this historical situation, this woman had no right to the bread of the kingdom. And that's why Jesus says, it's not right to take children's food. You're not a child. You're not part of the family of God. This isn't for you. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you don't qualify. You're not part of the family. You're not part of the covenant. You are not a recipient of the kingdom promise. Don't bother me. This is not what I'm about. And in fact, in Luke's example here, Jesus is just so rude when he says, it's not right to take children's bread and to give to little dogs like you. Ay, 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 ay. But remember, Jesus said, let the children be filled first. In other words, he's saying, the time is coming when I will be lifted up from the earth and draw all humanity to me. But right now, I'm filling the Father's priority. I'm following the Father's directive. I am going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the time is coming when you and all of the people of the world, the nations of the world, will be drawn by the Spirit of God of whom it is promised that He shall be poured out upon all flesh, all peoples, not just Jewish nation, but all peoples. Jesus said, the time is not right. But alongside this, I get something else that is happening. Jesus is enticing her. He's seeing what level of faith she has. He is seeing whether this woman will be prepared to break through barrier, deal with discouragement, deal with rejection, deal with accusation. You're worthless. You don't qualify. This isn't for you. And she said, I refuse to do that. She didn't disagree with him. She said, I got a better argument than your argument, Jesus. Wow, what faith that can argue with Jesus and win. I like to think that Jesus was testing her faith. Do we not have the example of the centurion, Gentile Roman centurion, who came to Jesus and said, my servant is ill. And Jesus immediately said, I'll go to your house. And he said, not necessary. He said, I understand this. He said, I, I'm a centurion, which means that I have somebody over me, and what they tell me to do, I do. That's 
the authority I'm under. I'm also a person of authority, and there's a hundred men who will do exactly what I tell them to do, whether it costs them their life or not. I know about authority, and I recognize in you authority. All you have to do is speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, not in all of Israel have I found such faith. And he said, I'll tell you, there'll be many people Many people from different nations sitting down with Abraham in the kingdom of God. This kingdom is not just for the Jew. Oh yes, there's enough evidence that Jesus was enticing the Gentiles. Jesus was wanting the Gentiles to see the blessing of Israel and then say, we want it. God, are you playing favorites? Don't you love us? You're blessing Israel. Where's the blessing for us? And right now, the whole situation is reversed. You read Paul's theology, and Paul says, when Israel rejected Messiah, God said, I'll take the kingdom from Israel and give it to others who are willing to bear the fruit, but I'll do it for a purpose so that we together can make Israel jealous. And when the Jews look upon the church of Jesus Christ and say, it's not fair, they've stolen our Messiah, they're getting all our blessings and they will be jealous and envious. And we say, don't worry, there's enough Messiah to go around. You can have him too. So at this stage, that was Jesus' priority. To restore the light to Israel so the nations could see in that light. And this woman, she didn't care about kingdom protocol, covenant programming, she said, I don't care what is on your program. My daughter is in need. And if I have to act like a little dog, fine, let me tell you about little dogs. Dogs can eat crumbs. Nobody can stop that. No, I, we know this. Those of us who are born in Africa, now I've got enough British in me, I suppose, but I'll tell you, uh, there's enough Africa left to know this. Dogs outside. Okay, amen. Dogs outside. Never dogs inside, am I right? Okay, dogs outside. Chickens inside, okay, but dogs outside. I know this. And that's where we have this African kind of thing. And I have managed, or at least Amanda has managed to breed this habit out of me. She hasn't stopped me chewing my bones and getting to the marrow. When I was in Kenya recently, Mama Teresa said to me, ah, you really are African. I said, why? She said, you're chewing your bones. I said, the marrow is the best part. So she took, she took, I took, <laughs> hallelujah. So what do we do? Then we throw the bones for the dogs, for the dogs. And so this woman says, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I might not be a child. Ooh. I may not be part of this family. Ooh. I may not be allowed to eat the children's meal. Ooh, but any dog can eat the scraps. Just send me a scrap. That's enough. My daughter needs healing. She got it. She got it. And in this, she realized something that very few understood, not even Jesus' disciples, not even after the resurrection, after Jesus said to them, go, 
into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. They stuck around Jerusalem. Until a man by the name of Stephen, a radical man, who was prepared to tell the truth. It cost him his life, but he told the truth. He said, you guys going in and out of the temple, don't you know God doesn't live there? He's got the heaven out of there a long time ago. And in fact, you read your Bible, and you'll find that Solomon said, not even heaven or the highest heavens can contain you, still less this little house that I prepared for you. And he preached, sowing the seeds of the Gentile mission. That the gospel was not about waiting in Jerusalem that everybody comes. But going with the authority of Christ under the anointing and the energizing power of God to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Cost him his life, but it was too late for the devil because you see Paul, whose name is Saul, Paul and Saul are the same person. Saul didn't become Paul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. But up until he become, he's called as an apostle, we know him as Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was watching, watching this stoning of Stephen, taking care of the cloaks of those who were stoning him to death. He witnessed, he heard Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin. He saw his face shine like an angel. He heard Stephen say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Why was Jesus seated on a throne standing? He was rising to give witness in fulfillment of his word. If you bear witness to me on the earth, I will bear witness to you in heaven. And Stephen said, Jesus, don't blame them for this. And he died. He fell asleep. And Saul saw it. And this was where it began to work in him. There was something there that he knew he needed, and he fought against it and fought against it and began to persecute, and, and the church was scattered. The church of Jerusalem was scattered. Where did they go first of all? Judea and Samaria. God will get you to the mission field one way or another. So give up and say, I go, Jesus. I go. And then Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, Proclaims the message of the gospel so that within his generation, having raised up two great sending centers of Christianity in the either side of the Aegean Sea in the ancient world, one in Ephesus and the other in Corinth, he says in Romans 15, I want to go to the regions beyond. I want to go beyond the mountains. And I believe he made it. Not a lot of scholars agree with me, but I reckon he made it. I reckon he went beyond that. But anyway, that's an historical mystery we don't know. But we do know that he died with passion, burning, to spread the gospel. He said, I've made Christ fully known from Jerusalem, round about to Illyricum, and I, all that place, I've made him fully known. Now, there's no more place for me to preach. I have to go to the regions beyond. And he says in Romans 10, their sound has gone to the end of the earth. That was the known world or the Roman world. And that river began to flow and continue to flow until it saturated the whole of the Roman Empire, until the Roman emperor himself had to say, if you can't beat them Christians, you've got to join them. And so Constantine converted to Christianity. Without one 
sword being raised to conquer the nation with blood and human, fleshly, worldly weapons. Just with the weapon of love and good deeds. Even the enemy said, see how they love one another. And that God has not changed. The river has not stopped flowing. You and I are being carried along by the current. And I predict, prophesy, state, whatever you wish, whatever level you're at, to take my words today, that that current is getting stronger and stronger in our hearts and in our church. Because Jesus is coming soon. And there's a job to be done. And as well as doing it through how we motivate and mobilize in the central services, throughout the network churches, and also now more particularly than ever through the cell groups. I want to tell you, the cell groups are the channel for you to pick up on what God is saying to the churches and what God is saying to you because through the cells you can pray. We can be praying in all the hundreds and hundreds of cells. We can be praying for every nation in the world, which we can't do in our main services unless you want them to be even longer than they are already. And the people said, no way, Jose. All right, okay. So get down to the cells. That's where you're going to be shaped. This is not just a, an arbitrary structure that we've adopted simply because we think this is a good idea. God has led us into this. We're not saying cell church is the only way of doing church, but we're telling you it's the way that God has given to us, and it is the most effective way we know. Get involved in the cells. Be real. Become a real disciple of Jesus. Become shaped and formed that you can be everything God has called you to be, whether you are an apostle. Think of me. Think of now the most obscure place in the world. Give me, give me an obscure place. I've been everywhere, so nothing's obscure to me. That is so close by. Madagascar, according to your faith, be it unto you. Madagascar. We have our heart for Madagascar. Parce qu'on parle français là-bas. There's a lot of work to do in Madagascar. We have links to Madagascar through Mauritius. But, you know, anyway, wherever it is, Madagascar. I think you saw the movie. Is that what it came to you? All right. It may not be Madagascar. It might be just your office tomorrow morning. That's your mission field. Oh, God sent, people come to you and say, I'm sent, God is sending me, and they give me some place, and this is my vision, you've got to pay for me, you've got to support me, you've got to send money to me, you've got to look out and say, oh, that's okay, so this is my job, is it, yes? It's your job, you're the pastor, you've got to pay for everything. All right, okay, so what are you doing for Jesus now? What do you mean now? Well, you, 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 you think you're going to get on an airplane, and those wings are going to give you a change of your heart and spirit? What are you doing for Jesus now? Oh, no, no, I'm called to the mission field. What do you think the mission field is? The mission field is one step out of this door. Maybe even in here today is a mission field. Maybe there are people sitting next to you. Don't look now, look later. <laughs> Somebody sitting next to you who doesn't know Jesus. Come on, people. I can't do everything. I can't preach a motivational mission message at the same time as a salvation healing message, at the same time as a gospel message, at the same time as a pastoral message. I can't do everything at once. I try, I try, but I can't. You guys are the ministers. Get to it. Get to it. Man, I can go take a week off somewhere. Should we? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Amen. Is that a deal, ladies and gentlemen? Done. Too late. Too late. It's done. So there's a lot to do. And we're light to the nations. And we're sent to the nations. And Jesus says, 12, John 12, 32, 
If I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples to myself. Who is he, tra- he talking about? He's talking about the manner in which he would die. His death would be a death in which he was lifted up. And in him being lifted up will be the lifting off of our sins. Psalm 2 verse 8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Prophetic psalm that is stronger than its historical context originally, which was the enthronement psalms for the kings of Israel. When this was a promise that the kings of Israel, walking with God, would conquer the nations and not be threatened by the hostilities that have always surrounded that tiny plot of land in the Middle East. But beyond that, it's the words that, the, that God the Father have, has placed in the lips of God the Son in the light of His enthronement and exaltation at the right hand of the Father because there He has been given a name which is above every name. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And from that place of authority, the Father says, Now, Son, ask me. Ask me for the nations of the world. I'm going to give them to you. And I visualize it like this. I don't know how exactly it works. But with my simple imagination, Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father saying, Father, let's not worry about nations. Let's talk about continents. Father, give me Africa. My blood was shed for Africa. I shall look upon the travail of my soul and be satisfied. And the Father says, oh, Africa, okay. And pours out the spirit of revival so that now south of the Sahara for several decades has been one of the fastest growing Christian movements in the world. What happens when he says, give me Africa north of the Sahara? Hallelujah. It shall happen. What about China? 66,000 people every day come to faith in China. The largest, fastest, closed to missionaries for generations, decades at least. There are no barriers and boundaries when Jesus prays. Give me North America. What will happen when he says, give me Europe? I'll tell you what, there will be such shockwaves throughout Europe when that prayer is answered and Holy Spirit falls upon this ugly, backslidden continent, godless continent called Europe. And when that happens, it's going to be, oh, look what God's doing over there. When God works, he, the Spirit of God rushes on you, clothes you with power. You're going to find yourself going to places you hadn't imagined you'd go to. And I'm not just talking about Madagascar. That's where he's going. (laughs) He said it. But right there in your office, you're going to say things that you wouldn't thought you'd say. God will be with you. That's why you have a vision this afternoon, 2.30 service, David and Christine. If they have forgotten how to speak English, I'll translate for them. And when I don't understand, I'll just make it up, okay? That's what every interpreter does for me, so I'll do it for them. But they will preach to us. The Francophonic nations of the world. Algeria. 100,000 Muslims come to Christ. 
100,000. God is moving across the nations of the world. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. This is the vision which has given the audiovisual department inspiration for this wonderful picture today. Ezekiel sees a trickle flow from the temple and it becomes a mighty flood that's so deep nobody can even stand in it. If you're in it, you've got to swim. And it flows right the way to the Dead Sea, bringing life wherever it goes. Verse 12, Ezekiel 47, along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail, for they will bear fruit every month. Don't you want to be in the river? You don't know what the river's for. The river is bringing life to the nations. You want to be in the river? You'll get fruit, but you've got to be in the river. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Who? Those who obey the Great Commission. Wherever the river flows from the sanctuary, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. When you read the gospel stories, we see things which are astonishing. Jesus does two things. He preaches forgiveness of sins and demonstrates healing from sicknesses. Forgiveness, healing. Forgiveness, healing. Because the healing flow works from the inside out. And the signs of the kingdom, including healing, show that he has authority to forgive sins. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power or authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed and walk. They brought him for healing. He said, your sins are forgiven. They said, who do you think you are? Only God has power to forgive sins, so I'll show you, he said. That you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. Rise up and walk. Salvation and healing are to be proclaimed and demonstrated. Because then we will show that we're living in the land of the majestic king. Little known verse tucked away in a very extraordinary passage, Isaiah 33, verse 24. The exegesis of this in the Hebrew and interpretation is quite complex it really properly belongs to a five o'clock teaching service, so we'll just say, Bruce, get on with it sometime. But it climaxes in this verse in which Isaiah prophetically describes the kingdom of God and the restoration of the glory and the kingdom of God to Israel. There will be a river that flows there, and it will, be, it will flow so strong. And there will be no ship sailing because there will be no trade or commerce. There will be no enemies to evade, invade. God will be his, their own provision. They won't need to trade to get food. They won't be threatened by invaders because God's kingdom will have come. And verse 24 describes it. The inhabitant of that place, the land of the majestic king, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. 
the people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. That's why it's appropriate to launch the public launch of this book today, The God Who Heals. Because healing to the nations, of course it's primarily forgiveness of sins, but it's also restoration of the glory of God in our families, in our society, in our community. And one of the most significant signs of the kingdom of God and its presence is the one who forgives sins and heals our bodies. That's why we believe in preaching the gospel and praying for the sick. Some people will preach the gospel and not pray for the sick. Others will pray for the sick and there's not much gospel anywhere. We believe that God has called us to preach the message of Christ to the nations of the world. Wherever we have gone, we've seen tremendous signs and wonders and miracles for God saying, my kingdom has come. The majestic king is here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we yield our lives afresh to you. Whether it's A for Albania, M for Madagascar, or Z for Zimbabwe, the A to Z of the nations, they belong to you. For you, Lord Jesus, have shed your blood not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And beginning in our Jerusalem, which is one of the most cosmopolitan, multiracial, multinational nation, uh, cities in all the world, beginning here, we have a desire to see London, one for Christ and the nations, healed with the gospel of grace and forgiveness and restoration. Speak to us throughout this month in terms of our praying, our going, and our giving, and let your holy name be honored as we flow in the river of life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen.